0: Uh, it's wonderful to be here on this beautiful sunny day in January. Uh, Matt said last week, and I quote, that the Prince of Peace lives inside each of us, and he gives us authority over the storm. So I want to pick up on that this, this morning. I want to develop that theme a little bit further. Uh, you see, I've, I've been noticing this probably over a lifetime, but actually more regularly lately, um, people's voices around their kind of personal dissatisfaction with their walk uh, I've heard things like this, and you may have heard them too. Oh, I'm just in a dry season, or you know, I'm just not feeling that connected with God lately. Um, you know, God and I have previously been really tight, uh, but at the moment, uh, you know, I'm kind of longing for when I was a younger Christian and I had that spark, or, you know, I, I miss that encounter where God overwhelmed me. Um, I miss those things, that sense of closeness that we once shared. Um, maybe you've heard people talk like that. Uh you know, we long for those times where God speaks to us every day. And and sometimes some I've heard it like this. I'm actually wary of, of not seeing stuff happen. Like I wanna see God demonstrate his power and I'm wary of not seeing that happen. Um, stuff like healing, stuff like, I don't know, when was the last time you see someone raised from the dead? Uh, <laughs> so this is a problem, right? Here's the problem, uh, that dryness. And, and it's not something that we need to put up with. Um, it can be different. And I really believe that there's another way. Um, and if if you can relate to any of that, then, then I'd encourage you to listen closely this morning. I've been uh, I've been listening to this guy, Brother Lawrence, um, this dude I found online. And uh, I have a bro- brother-in-law, brother Brother Lawrence. It's not him. Um, he's a good singer worth listening to, but it's not him. Um, this guy was born in like 1610 in France. And uh, he, he went f- through like the 30-year war, you know, um, he sustained some sort of fatal, no, sorry, near fatal injury um, to his sciatic nerve and it left him just crippled, essentially. He was in chronic pain for the rest of his life. And I don't know about you, but I've slipped a disc in my back before, so has my wife. And that pain, you know, like it makes everything in life challenging, right? It's hard to deal with. It makes you irritable. Uh, you get short fused. Uh, it makes you kind of, I, I feel like I, turn to into the flesh. It seems that much closer. Um, I'm not that great to be around, to be honest. And uh, there's this kind of lingering discomfort. Uh, it, it drains your energy. And um, you're just that much closer to spitting the dummy, you know, like throwing your toys out of the cot. Well, this dude, like, he, he lived in this life of chronic pain. And yet he, um, he decided to enter into mon- monastic life, and he spent a period of time out in the wilderness. And uh, like the Desert Fathers, you know, very self, uh, self-deprecating guy. Anyway, I mention him because the title of my message this morning is Practicing the Presence. It's taken from a book that I'd urge you to read or, or listen to. You can listen to it on YouTube like I did. Um, and he says in it, this is, a, this is a quote from one of his letters. Anyway, listen to this. It says, how can we pray to him without being with him? How can we be with Him but in thinking of Him oftenly? And how can we think often of Him but by a holy habit which we should form of it? You will tell me that I will always say the same thing. And it's true, for this is the best and easiest method that I know. I use no other. I advise all the world to do it. We must know before we can love. And in order to know God, we must often think of him. And when we come to love him, we shall then also think of him often for our hearts will be with our treasure. I love it. That's rich language um, and some of it sounds a bit foreign to us, but I love this guy's heart for intimacy with God and to know him and be known by him personally. So he's this real humble dude. He actually ends up uh, living this monastic lifestyle. He's in the kitchen and he's repairing people's sandals. So real mundane work, um, kind of ordinary nitty gritty. But the beautiful thing that this humble guy, you know, exudes in his life is power and authority that came from this one place of intimacy, personal history with God. He knew the presence of God. See, so awesome. And I, I can seriously encourage you to listen to his stuff, but I want to contrast this right now to an Old Testament example. I want to contrast this. I want to compare it to Daniel. You guys know the story of Daniel? So this is an example, and I hope that in comparing the two, it will unlock some keys for you this morning. Uh, unlock how to get out of dryness, how to continually dwell in the presence of God. So you know the story of Daniel, right? Um, I'd like to compare him to, to Brother Laurie. Uh, they're kind of similar. Um, in their pursuit of the presence of God. But so anyway, uh, Daniel is under the rule of Darius. Um, Daniel is positioned as one of the leaders of like 40 provincial governors in ancient Persian empire, right? And so uh, it is that Darius was going to be given rulership over all 120 governors. And the other two uh, leaders that had that role currently is gonna be taken off them. So they were looking for like ammunition in his life, a way to sabotage his leadership and uh, essentially we find that all they could see in his life was that he followed the law of God. So they plotted and schemed to somehow undermine him, and they tricked Darius into declaring an irrevocable decree that for 30 days, uh, he, Darius, was the only one that could be worshipped, and anyone that violated that would be thrown in the the den, the lion's den. And so, uh, I don't know, here's my question of you. I ask this of myself. How many of us, would slip through 30 days, you know, without prayer, without worship or scripture or practicing his presence. You know, I mean, they were watching Daniel privately. But even if it was just in a public way, a publicly notable way, do you think that you'd slide under the radar? Anyway, I asked myself that, but you know the end of the story that Dan eventually goes into the den and God sends his angel and shuts the mouths of the lions. This pagan king Darius he's almost interceding on behalf of uh, Dan because he loves him so much. He wants him to be all right. But um, you you notice that Dan comes out of that den unscathed, and he can honestly say of himself, "This is what he says of himself." He says this, man. He says that he was found innocent in the sight of God. Like, what a cool statement! Oh, that he would say that of us. I mean, actually, that is what you possess. That's your position as a believer. Anyway, Darius, Darius announces this decree in Daniel six twenty-six to 27. And um, in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and revere the God of Daniel. He says this, listen to this. He goes, for he, this is God, he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Such a remarkable um, story and testimony. But here's the thing that's actually the most remarkable of all. Here's the thing that should impact us, was that the Holy Spirit did not reside in Daniel. Yet Daniel had this intimacy with God, and it gave him boldness and the power of miracles in his life. But you see, under the old, you would be right in saying that the Holy Spirit, well, the presence of God, he came and went. He comes and goes. If you look at Samson, you look at the prophets, you know, like they were powerful. They had prophetic words when the Spirit came on them. And then the rest of the time, they were ordinary dudes struggling with ordinary stuff. Can I, I can't hear God's voice. I'm trying to find direction. Where do I go? Um, they weren't able to practice the presence as our man, Brother Lawrence, can and you and I can. So if you study um, the etymology of the temple, this word, the temple, that flows throughout Scripture, it's kind of like a theme or a motif, uh, you can start to see that there is this shift in the presence of God. Like he's always... Uh, God is always within us now as believers, as spirit-filled, born-again believers. The fullness of the Holy Spirit resides in us in every believer. And if you follow that temple story, the temple motif, that picture throughout Scripture, you can quickly, uh, you realize that it was always God's intent. It was always His idea from the very outset of creation, that it was His best to take up residency within the human spirit. You know, it was his game plan all along that he would dwell in us, that he would live inside every believer, that he, like it's this picture of pure intimacy, you know? He loves so much that he would keep on wooing you throughout history uh, from the garden onwards that after the fall, he would time and time again uh, pursue you. You know, he walked in the cool of the garden and now he wants to be in fact closer than that within you. See, I, uh, I got married, I don't know, 15 years ago in next week. Um, and Liv and I uh, kind of did some long distance when we were early married. But the point of marriage is to be together, right? Like I fully missed her. I missed her smell. I missed her touch. I missed her the expressions on her face, that subtlety of communicating when you're there together with one another, you know, that you, you pick up on somebody's body language. Um, so much more stuff that her presence is what I longed for. And all we had was MSN back in the day. Uh, thanks. Um, but you know that actually you and I are married to Jesus, and that uh, we're his bride and that he's the groom and his presence is always accessible. There is these things called Theophanies in Scripture. Uh, it's the appearances of God, essentially, where God appears to humanity. It's his self-revelation, and there are occasions where he visits, and he kind of turns up on the scene of human history, and you think about the divine encounters throughout Scripture with Abraham, with Moses, with Joshua, you know, um, in the bush, the pillar of fire, the, the pillar of smoke, the mountaintop experiences, the, the, all that, the heavenly staircase, uh, the angel of the Lord and Joshua, um, the tent of meeting, you know, God longs, and you can see this throughout Scripture, God longs for his spirit to dwell amongst us, to tabernacle amongst us. And there's this point where actually heaven meets earth once and for all. See that same motif, that same temple uh, symbol, it finds its completion in Jesus. You know, like he inaugurated a new way. He, it, he is the conception of a brand new way of being for all humanity. We get to step into that See so Jesus becomes like this holy home, this abode of God, and he's fully a human being having, having denied himself access to his divine nature, or his attributes rather, and yet, yet he lived and operated uh, in full surrender to the Spirit of God, Spirit of God within him. And yet Jesus was so unique in so much as like he, he never ceased to be God. But, um, but Jesus was born of a new nature. You know, think about the the theology of this that the seed of first Adam, uh, he was not born of. He was born of the divine seed. First Adam's nature is that which we all inherit, um, that corrupt seed uh, that's about self, corrupted by self, self preservation, self interest, self indulgence, self glorification, you know, the fruit of that tree of knowledge. Sin ultimately, but Jesus was born of a virgin at Christmas time and he did not inherit that same fruit, so therefore the Holy Spirit could reside in him always. Period. The Holy Spirit lived in Jesus, and Jesus became the temple, He became Emmanuel, God with us. You know, we talk about the incarnation. Uh, Throughout the Christmas season, so he fully represented humanity, um, who we were created to be in the image and likeness of god but but like with the spirit living within us, so he he is who you and I were created to be. I don't mean like a fairly unattractive Jewish male with a bed and sandals. Um, I mean like his freedom, his wholeness, his capacity to love, his ability to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Ultimately, his residing connection to the presence of God that constant connection to the presence of God. Not this come and go, yo, yo, I'm dry, now I'm feeling good, now I'm feeling bad, and all over the place. See, Jesus made us one with God again. He made us like himself so that he could reside within us. Because we all know that um, like man that blows my mind that he would make him, us like himself but like we, we know what we're like without him right scripture says that we return to our vomit you know that there's this idea of personal depraved state outside of God and but the Holy Spirit comes to live in, inside every believer and whether it's before during after salvation that's not the issue There is a biblical uh, example of each one and not a precedence in the favor of either. But the important thing is actually that's a free gift and he takes the initiative and we respond by receiving. See, after salvation, there's no conditions because of the grace of our Lord Jesus. Everybody receives the Holy Spirit and without measure. We just have to believe through faith by grace that you have received. So there's no reason for that yo-yo, that up and down, you know, that dry spurt, that disconnection, because actually you've received the presence of God by surrender. And I don't believe that this is for some sort of elite, some sort of, uh, you know, like subculture of holy people, Jesus plus this. Actually, it's just for a people of rest who know who they are. It's the very opposite. It's, it's for every believer. It's the opposite of uh, the special few under the old covenant, under the Daniel example, and it's actually for everybody, every one of us. And I entitled this message, Practicing the Presence, because this is where I believe the practical becomes, uh, you know, us practicing His presence becomes practical for us. This is where it comes home. This is where He brings it home. And I, um, you know that, scripture in Isaiah 64. We sing it a lot, actually, um, or we pray it. But it's the idea of, oh, God, rend the heavens, rip the heavens, and come down, you know, because we're so desperate, and we're so hungry to see more of you, um, to see the heavens open, and God transform us, and our nation, but sometimes we actually live in the ignorance of what we already possess, See when you pray for what you already possess, you never actually enter into the joy of seeing it answered because you're not aware that you already have the answer. <laughs> I'm gonna break that down, but obtaining answers to prayer and seeing breakthroughs are supposed to be a source of joy for us. John 1624 says this Ask and you shall receive, that your joy shall be full. Yeah, joy is some sort of priceless heavenly commodity, so much so that it was said of Jesus that he endured the cross because of the joy set before him. See, joy is the reward for Christ's suffering. In Hebrews 12:2, it says, "The Father reserved joy for Jesus as a reward to honor him for his obedience." Isn't that crazy? And so the problem is that when we continue to pray for what we already possess, if I pray for what I possess, I live in ignorance of what I already possess. I never actually get to experience the breakthrough that brings joy. In other words, we live in a dry place where there is a river living within us, and yet I'm walking in a dry and weary land. See, this is a big deal. This sounds like a big deal to me because we pray for so many things that we already have answers for. Like how many times have I prayed, Lord, be with me today or go into this situation with me or, and, and yet we know full, full well that he says I'll never leave you or forsake you. See, that's not actually a prayer that he can answer. He's already answered it. And what we're actually doing is we're praying for things that war against what he's already declared and it's not okay because... We start to fill our hearts with things that contradict what we know to be true. You see, when he said that Jesus was, you know, when Jesus was baptized with water, um, in the original language, it talks about the Father tore open the heavens and the Spirit came down. See, that's that prayer from Isaiah 64 again, rend the heavens and come down. But uh, before Jesus' baptism, you know, the heavens uh, were, were shut up in a sense. There was this partial access. And then we see in that moment of time that the heavens were torn and the Spirit of God was released and there was an open heaven and that was created. And it happened once and for all because of His crucifixion. And that you saw that veil torn from top to bottom. You see, for most Christians, access to the presence of God feels like a closed heaven. But I think that the close heaven is actually in here or in here, between our ears or in our heart. Sometimes our thoughts uh, empower, well, you could say the world or darkness, but it doesn't exactly empower us to believe. You see, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He is the one that tore the heavens open for you. And so what kind of demonic power can block the communion that you have between the Spirit of God in you and the Father in heaven? There is no power. There is no power that can separate you from God. And therefore, you live in an open heaven. See, but you learn through demonstrations of faith. When we practice the presence, when we step out, when we trust what we already possess, then the only perceived blockage is in you. See, you have the ability, the capacity to walk into a room and shift the entire atmosphere. You are only aware of the kingdom that you're most aware of. See, or the other way around, I could say this was you release the kingdom that you are most familiar with or most aware of. And that's my prayer for us this year. That's my prayer for you this morning, that actually by revelation, we would desperately grasp a hold of what we already possess. See, when you are aware of what you already possess, you get to practice the presence even in the mundane, even in the nitty gritty of daily life, even with the kids, with study, with work and relationships, everywhere, you get to present, practice the presence of God and you get to carry him with you because you're aware of what you already possess. And there is no lack, there's no drought, rivers of living water are allowed to flow through you. Now some of you this morning don't know this Holy Spirit that I speak of. And so my encouragement to you that, would be seek God for a baptism of his Holy Spirit. He says that if you seek me and you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I promise you, you will find him if you seek him this morning. Others of us are still wrestling with our salvation, and you need to have that heart matter sealed. You need to have settled the matter on that. So if you do not know if you're saved this morning, Ask yourself, do I know with confidence? Then let's settle that matter this morning. And then there's the rest of us. I feel like we could all respond with this desire to be a person who practices the presence of God. And if you've had your heart stirred in any way this morning, I would love for you to respond by praying with me. God, I ask that you would possess me this morning. May your presence occupy my heart and my mind, my whole self. May I live in continuous communion with you. And may you reveal yourself to me each and every day afresh. In Jesus' name, amen.